Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poon, episode 294. I'm joined on this Victory Wednesday, uh, yeah, Victory Wednesday, uh, by my co-host Prez, that is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are, are you doing? How are you feeling? How is Washington, D.C.? How's fighting the good fight? Uh, I usually go to basketball to disconnect de-stress as you know as longtime listeners of the pod and patreon subscribers know this may or may not be why i did not watch a significant number of the games live and yesterday's game was definitely the uh most stressful of the playoffs and I'm trying to think back to the regular season. I don't know. Most of my not live watching was the last two months of the season. So I don't know the last Knicks game that really had me on fucking edge <laughs> and frustrated. Like uh, like the roller coaster of emotions that we had yesterday evening. Yeah, yes. But I'm doing all right today. That was yesterday. I'm doing all right. It's good Good to know uh, that you you survived <laughs> your live wa- live game watching experience. Uh, I also survived, and we will talk about how we survived and what our what our <laughs> takeaways were for, were from surviving. But before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. That first being the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you already haven't. We know there are some of you who listen and watch the pods on there. That have not subscribed to the channel, please do so. That would be a huge help to us. Uh, Prez just dropped a great video today that Miami Heat Reddit found out about, and much to the chagrin of the haters, yeah. uh, <laughs> discussing Miami's very well coached, uh, let's say theatrics. Let's call it that. Uh, that's a really good video. Check that out. Um, so yeah, we have all, all we post all the pods on there, rundown everything, so you can find a lot of shit on there. The Strickland also has merchandise. Wearing some of it. He hasn't played that well yet in this series, but it's coming. It is coming. Wait for it's it. It's happening. Wait for it. Uh, no, we have all kinds of merch there. We have Quicklin merch. We got Brunson merch. We just dropped a shirt with the whole team on it. Uh, we still got RJ Barrett mugs. We've got we got other sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, you name it. Uh, it's all there, so check that out. And then finally, the Strickland has Patreon which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland. This podcast that I host every Friday with Prez, you also get access to the Circle Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to Wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on pod recordings, 
merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, the Knicks won 111-105 in a game that was very weird. Um, I don't even know. I, I feel like it was just as weird when I rewatched it today, too. So I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I had, like, I've all. Good for you, man. Cause I thought about that and I was like, I'm not rewatching that shit. Cause it was like 10, it was like 15 games in one. Yeah. There was a lot of weird things that happened in this game. I also came away feeling very weird, even weirder than I felt yesterday about Tibbs's coaching. Like, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, good and bad, by the way. Um, and yeah, it was a weird, but th- look, the Knicks ended up winning this game 111 105. I look, I really feel like, yes, you would have loved to see them. Obviously, Miami not having Jimmy Butler, you get Randall, you get Brunson back. You would have loved to see them, you know, put their foot down and, and win a game with more authority than they did. That said, uh, you got to bank wins. And we've seen already in this playoffs how weird some of these games can be. You know, we saw, um, you know, we, we saw the other night, the night before that, you know, Philly go into Boston, a fully healthy Boston team, fully healthy Boston team, Philly without Joel Embiid, newly named MVP Joel Embiid. And they go in there and they beat them 119-115. These are weird games. Uh, and they, they, this is not like the regular season, right? Where it's like, oh, we got jo- Joel's not playing tonight. Like, fuck it. Like, we're going to go clubbing the night before. This is like, there's no point in even trying. It's not one of those. It's, it's right. It's, and Miami, like you can look at their record the entire season. They've, I think they had the fourth most games missed due to injury in the league. They also played like the most clutch games, clutch minutes, whatever in the entire NBA. This is just what they do. They muck it up. They make games weird. They don't beat themselves. And the final thing I, I took away from it, um, I think you see some of the inexperience from the Knicks in these situations. And that's not like, uh, I mean, it's a bad thing in the current, like right here and now, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, and I include myself in this, the way they beat Cleveland, it was just like, wow, this was so dominant. You maybe didn't. And I didn't notice some of those things. And, and to be fair, like, Cleveland just doesn't have the the nous, the know-how that Miami does to kind of like put you under pressure like that. And it was a it was I mean look, that was a breeze. It was a five-game breeze, really. And what you see in this Miami series is totally different. And I think you see that manifesting in a player like quickly where okay, the three ball is not going down. He starts driving, which is the right move, but he had two turnovers yesterday cuz he's like trying to draw fouls that maybe he gets in the regular season against team Y, but not against insanely well-drilled Miami team who like literally gets every margin in their favor. Just that's how they play. Like you see that manifest there. Right. I think he was like arguing with the refs in a way that is not characteristic of him yesterday. You saw it like twice. I saw it twice yesterday. Um, I think you see that in things like, you know, that kind of meltdown between Brunson and RJ, not to say that 
I mean, they played well in the first half of the first game, but they kind of had like a meltdown in, in the in the back end of the of, of game one, and that cost the Knicks that game. Um, you see that in stuff like how Mitchell Robinson picked up stupid fouls. Like he picked up just dumbass fouls. Right, he's much more jumpy in like this was he he was jumping at pump fakes like this was throwback Mitch, like this was twenty year old Mitch. I, like he his block rate has plummeted. And that's because he just doesn't jump and he's really good at contesting. But like, and it's not just Bam. It was like Kevin Love, who I know is a very good pump fake and, and like smaller guys as well. So they're, they're definitely uh, showing a little bit of they're a little green. nervous energy at times. A little, a little yeah, green yeah. with the gills, as they call it. Um, you know, fortunately for the Knicks, as uh, Brian Cashman pointed out today, they can just go to the G League and easily sign guys. Um, easy to replace talent. Wait, what? What did Brian? Oh, yeah, do I even want to know? Yeah, you, just, oh, you can you can look it up while I'm talking. Um, oh, you you I, definitely want to know because you want to hate that. Brian Cashman more than you already do. <laughs> you will after this Let's pod is continue over, sure, talking about succumb. basket sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I look, think man, you see my that fantasy something... baseball team is in first place. All right, I got good baseball <laughs> vibes here. Don't fuck it up for me, Schwinn. <laughs> just don't look at the ALE standings. Um, but like they. You know, I think you see it like Grimes. You could see it, I thought, really. The missed shots to me, I'm not, I'm still not at the point where I'm like, oh, he's feeling like the the pressure of the moment. Maybe that is. It, it could definitely be the case. But to me, it just looks like he's missing shots. But I think you could see it when, you know, he's fumbling the ball on the catch and like he's getting it. So many fumbles. Yeah, he's, he's got a clean <laughs> look, but then he like, because he missed a couple, he's like, I shouldn't take this one. I should pump. And then he just, that like, that you see all of that nervous energy a little bit. And I think you saw it with Julius at the start of the playoffs too. Like the first few games where it was like the decision-making wasn't quite there. Some of his energy was weird. Thank God that, you know, he came back yesterday. He was fucking awesome yesterday. Um, I, I still think his defense in the second half left something to be desired. And some of his decision-making, particularly passing up on end-of-quarter heaves in a one-point playoff game, is questionable. But his overall performance yesterday was excellent. He was really, really good. Um, Josh Hart came up big. Isaiah Hartenstein, for me, the player of the game, I thought he turned the game back into Nick's favor. I thought he brought the necessary energy. He played really big minutes because Mitch got in foul trouble. Um, And then Brunson, you know, he found his rhythm in the second half. RJ carried us for a long part of the first quarter, like first half even. So you got contributions across the board, but you know, you could tell like the game was so close that entire second half. And it felt like every time the Knicks got, you know, behind, they cut the lead to one or they took the lead by one. They would have, you know, somebody would take a stupid shot or they would have a turnover or they would have a stupid fuck up on defense. And it's like those little margins, those little fucking things, those little pieces of attention to detail, they don't fuck you up against Cleveland because Cleveland just doesn't opt. Like they're not, I'm sorry. Like I don't care what these teams are seated. I don't, I was always going to be more terrified of Miami in the playoffs than I was of Cleveland. And like, I think you're seeing why. Um, But the good news is young teams can grow from these experiences and they can even grow during a series. So it's one, one, you got to split. It's not the end of the world. All you you need to go to Miami and you need to take one. That's what you have to do. That's like literally that's that's all you have to do. It's not going to be easy, but the Knicks are fully capable of doing it. 
They won in Miami already once this year. We know they've been a really good road team this entire season. We know that they have stepped up when under pressure, when facing adversity all this season. I think if you told me before this like homestand started, Butler would miss one and Randall would miss a game, I would have been like, yeah, I mean, I think the Knicks should win two, but I think they can... I think a split is reasonable and not the end of the world. And it's not the end of the world. So, um, you know, maybe you, again, you would have liked to see a little bit more of a dominant effort. And definitely you would have liked to see more from quickly. You would have liked to see Grimes hit a couple of threes. You would have liked to see maybe, you know, uh, Brunson not like be absolutely flummoxed by screening actions for a while. You would have liked to see a lot of things, but you didn't. But you did see the Knicks win. You saw them respond. And that's, in a lot of ways, you got to survive and learn and then move on. That's what the playoffs are about. You're not going to be at your best all the time. Can you make it happen even in those moments? And the Knicks found a way to get it done yesterday, got across the finish line, and we move on. Yeah, that's a good good summary. Um, I had a lot of the same takeaways. Um, just it was just a weird game, and the the Knicks players, not all of them, not Julius. Um, they didn't. You could tell they knew the expectations were there to get out ahead, and you know, there's an anybody who's played pickup ball knows like. The feeling, right? Like you could be playing four on four or three on three against some team that you don't think is very good. They put up some bullshit shots, hit like bank three pointers and pick up. All of a sudden, you gotta, you know, you're behind, you're in a hole. They get confident. Like it's that, but times a thousand at the NBA level because all of these guys, like their, their game plan relied on three point variability and solid defense and not turning the ball over. Um, you know, by taking a lot of threes and doing it off of pretty straightforward, you know, this isn't like Spurs ball movement. This is all handoffs and stuff like that. You're, there's not really a high chance of turnovers because you're not, you know, nobody's out here driving and kicking. Nobody's out here trying to get layups or hitting the weak side corner and, you know, passes that we've seen the Knicks pick off and deflect and things like that. So it was a really really sound game plan in the sense that if you can hit threes, it is a sound game plan, right? But, like, they hit a lot of open threes. They also hit, like, it should be said, like, they also hit a lot of complete bullshit threes. Like, they're all good shooters, but, like, anytime you start counting bullshit threes, and I don't mean, when I say bullshit threes, like, you can define that a lot of ways. Like, Caleb Martin, end of shot clock, step back from the wing is a bullshit three. Right. <laughs> and even like if D- Duncan Robinson is taking like a quick trigger, like 30 footer, like I know he's an exceptional shooter. I don't give a shit. It's a bullshit three. If you want to call the, the Josh Hart threes bullshit. Cool. I, that I totally understand that as well. Right. Like, so I'm not saying the Knicks don't hit bullshit threes, but um, particularly when they're just that high difficulty, it's, it can be tough to overcome, and of course, that was extremely exacerbated because the Knicks and Tibbs thought that they could uh, 
they didn't want to adjust their defense. So, like, I'll, I'll split the defense and the offense into different conversations on defense. I thought the offensive game they, plan was really good for what it's worth. Yeah, I, I don't have any, nearly as much issues with the offense. Um, on on defense, it was just terrible. It was they were playing like Jimmy was there, and they started off the game with Mitch in drop coverage and Hartenstein in drop coverage. Like when your backup comes in and it's still drop coverage, that means it's a choice, right? That's not uh, that's that's something they decided. Which why who is driving? on the heat, right? Like that's really not happening without Jimmy Butler. So like there's that there's decision. And we saw some of this versus we've seen this throughout the season from uh, Tibbs and a big part, one of the many pleasantly surprising changes in the latter third of the season was, um, you know, Tibbs deciding that like size guys for the most part can switch a little bit, um, you know, RJ Randall, rather than having to show and recover. Um, this was a situation where you could probably expand that even further because, again, like Jalen Brunson is decent getting around screens, but like showing and recovering, like he's so small that he's not, he's just the whole point of a show is to basically make it harder for the guy with the ball to pass for like a split second, therefore ruining the role, the pop, and whatever. But Brunson's so small that it's not super duper effective, even when he does it well. Um, so there was just a lot of very baffling decisions schematically, and when when the other team is playing a very desperate scheme, which is based on you know putting up fifty plus threes, um, there's just no need to entertain that and it's you know it's not a sign of weakness to say like okay we're gonna pounce on this instead of just keeping shit the same like it it was just a very big like a lot of the knicks you know there were definitely times lots of knicks got caught sleeping and didn't communicate and there was plenty of that to go around right like there was plenty of times it was weird the the knicks they missed more rotations yesterday than probably in like many losses that uh than we've seen and it, and it was everybody like guys like quickly who like normally literally nails like 100% of his rotations had like multiple missed rotations so it was just a weird fucking game in that sense on defense and um that being said my even though it was ugly like there still was some really good takeaways and the simplest one is seeing these guys have shots fall like jump shots i mean Randall had this was Randall's first good shooting game, really. Like he had multiple threes, you know, shot a respectable percentage, put up a good stat line. Um, RJ Barrett finally, like, even though he's been hooping and the threes have looked good, they, they haven't really connected. And, you know, he shook loose for five of nine. Um, I think Miami went to the zone a little too much, actually, and, and uh, in a rare misstep by Spo, although you can't really fault him because, like, you know, look. You know, dare RJ and Hart. You could do worse strategically than daring RJ and Hart to beat you from three. So I, I guess I can't even be mad at that. Um, but like just seeing all three of the the big the big scorers, the big usage guys shake loose, that was a big deal, man. And then um, on offense, like the efficiency wasn't there, but the process was pretty good, especially later on. I think um, once you had Grimes come in. You know, to space the floor, like he didn't, 
he didn't hit a bunch of shots or anything, but like they couldn't really help off of him. And you saw that pay dividends for Hart, who was finally able to do like Josh Hart stuff. Like there was one play in the fourth where he pump faked an open three and then decided to like weirdly Euro step and he got an and one. And the whole play, I was just like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? But the reason he had this place to do all that shit is because like Julius was sucking one. Ayo, Julius was uh, <laughs> was was uh, spreading the floor on one end, and Quentin Grimes was spreading the floor on another end, and it made it a lot easier for him to do that. It made it a lot easier for him to crash and get an offensive rebound. A lot made it a lot easier for Jalen to dance and could, prance and break off the crossovers and all that stuff. Could have could have still done an Ayo after the Randall spreading it on one end. This is just where my head's at, I guess. Um, whatever floats your boat, people. But um, no, I, I think that was a really huge deal. And like seeing Tibbs' willingness to put a floor spacer, uh, that's well, it, it, that's a sign of openness, I think. And we've seen this. He, he did it in game one against Cleveland, too. Like he went to Grant. That was the lineup he closed with, effectively. Other than, but it was Mitch instead of Hartenstein. Um, but like, yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, Grimes comes in. Like, I. I'm fine with that. I, look, my my issue with this game actually has, even on rewatch when I'm watching it, like I I still think like defensively I get the stubbornness to just stick with the scheme when that scheme like that it makes more sense to stick with your scheme when Butler is playing versus what they, yes, yeah. that scheme was designed for that right, like, right versus like the whole versus like what. Miami had to do to win and really to score the basketball yesterday. That said, I wonder if you don't want to switch a bunch versus Jimmy Butler because he's bigger than half our right. team. <laughs> like, but I, I do wonder if some of it is like, let's just show them, like let's not show them anything. There's always that idea of like, and I've seen Tibbs do this before, especially I think against teams that he feels we have a talent advantage over, where it's just like. Nope, we're just going to play what we play. And we should be able to beat, like, we should be able to win the game regardless of that. You know, whether or not we, um, like, it doesn't matter what they do. It just matters how we execute. And with our talent, we'll win. So, like, we've seen them do that. Like, that's happened against, not against the Hornets this year, um, when they lost that game at the Garden. So, like, there's weird times where he does this. And I'm, I'm, it tends to be, from what I feel anyway, when they have a talent advantage, or at least when Tibbs thinks he, he doesn't, he doesn't like making in-game adjustments unless he's truly desperate. And because of the talent advantage, he doesn't. He probably doesn't feel truly desperate, and that's not incorrect, right? Like we should like be fine, probably even like if they don't hit a couple of those BS threes, if Randall doesn't step on the line, if Brunson doesn't dribble the ball off his foot out of bounds, then we pro- we probably win by 10. Like, literally, it's as simple as that. And then we're we're like, well, I wish he would have adjusted, but, you know, we won by 10, and it's not even that long of a conversation. So, like, I, I get that. It's just one of those things that, like, it's not like by saving these other looks now, you're going to sneak up on Spo later, right? And, and Tibbs isn't the China coach who's going to be like, I'm going to toss you a possession in the zone here just to fuck you up. I'm going to throw the... You know, Spo threw a box and one at our bench lineup in game one. Like, Tib, don't do shit like that. Like, yeah, he, he, I agree. I just wonder if there, I just feel like he, he, 
and I mean, and to his credit, like the end of the game, especially in the fourth quarter, um, they did change up how they were guarding a lot of the screens. Yeah, he changed up the matchups too, which was why I think he closed with Grimes. Um, like Hart's a really good defender. He's not a particularly great point of attack defender, and Vincent gave him some trouble. Um, Grimes, like if you look back at the box score. So we have that possession where we get like, you know, there's, it's 93-93. They come out of a timeout, and um, that's the one where Vincent draws that bullshit foul because Bam pushed, uh, you know, he pushed, he pushed Josh Hart into it. Anyway, they get three free throws. After that possession, they switched the matchups. Grimes was on Vincent the rest of the way. The only bucket Vincent scored after that, he missed two threes, and, um, he also he he made a layup, but it was like in garbage time, and he stumbled all over himself to like barely get it up. So um, <laughs> it, it was it was a good job by him to change the matchups and kind of the strategy when he did in that fourth quarter got us over the line. My bigger concern with him is like not even the end of game rotation stuff anymore because I think generally, although it was weird, I thought to go back to Mitch yesterday when Hartenstein was playing fucking amazing um to close i think it was like the last 355 i was watching on mute and i just assumed hartenstein had fouled out no he had five he never fouled out that was wild yeah, bro. never did not make I was like, what the fuck? i literally and then like everybody was cheering for him and shit that's the other because like he was hooping so well yeah. the bench was like giving him hard high fives and the fans were standing and i was like oh shit man that's his Six foul. Yeah. Then after the game, I seen people on Discord and Twitter talking about like, man, why the fuck did he, did Tibbs foul out Hartenstein? And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, he had five fouls. Yeah, I don't know. That was really weird. Anyway, I I trust him though, like, or at least generally have faith that he'll ride lineups that if like he, he's shown at least a willingness to close with different groups of guys. Um, that's one thing and it's fine. I, I'm not that worried about that piece of it. I am worried about the starting piece of it. And I gotta say the, the numbers are interesting. Uh, I don't like the heart starting thing. I think it's a reason why the bench as a group, not forget individual as a group has been a little bit out of whack. Um, these last, I would say at least these two games against Miami, it's fair to say. Um, and I just feel like we know that the starting lineup with Grimes was good. That group, so if you replace the starting lineup, if you just replace Hart with, um, or Grimes with Hart, that group has played something like 71 minutes total combined in the playoffs in regular season. They played 10 minutes in the regular season. Okay, so see, they played 10 minutes. So weird, yeah. man. So weird. So they played 10 minutes in the regular season. They played 51 minutes in the playoffs. They've actually been pretty awesome offensively, which is interesting. The problem is their defense has been really bad in those minutes. And that may just be a small sample size thing. 71 minutes is not a lot, um, which is also why I don't fully trust the offensive rating being fantastic in those minutes. Uh, I, I think you saw it yesterday that teams are very comfortable leaving heart wide open and R.J. Barrett relatively open. And Randall does not have the quickest trigger on catch-and-shoot jumpers, so you can get away with, like, you know, just closing out to him slower than you would others. 
And they'll stick they'll stick Randall a little closer if only because like you need to hit him early to slow him down if he decides to put it on the deck. Yeah, yeah. So I those are like reasons why I still don't love the idea of that long term. And again, we have a proof of concept with that lineup from all year this year. All year that lineup with uh, you know, with Grimes was Grimes was fine on Hart in the re- I mean, uh, fine on Hart, fine on Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, Hart was exceptional on Jimmy. Don't get me wrong, and like that should be applauded. But like, the the point is, like, this is not the time. You want to know how triggered? Like, I'm normally not like, oh, Knicks fan, I'm triggered. Oh, the Heat, Voodoo Magic, blah, Pat Riley, Devil Magic. You know what was a thought I had in the fucking game? I was like, yo, this is when. This is when the fucking Woodson Knicks went away from small ball, I was think- which had worked for them the whole fucking year I, back in 20 whatever. I said this on the rundown yesterday that this series was giving me serious 2013 Pacers vibes. They should have stuck with Coughlin. Yeah, like it, I don't know where Chris is right now. Shout out Chris Coughlin. No, it's it's giving me so much of the same vibes. It's like you blow a game one at home that you feel like you should have won. They didn't blow out the, the, the Heat yesterday in game two, but they win game two, even it up. Feeling a little bit better going to Miami, uh, but the the weird rotation things going away from stuff that's worked all season, it's odd. I, I don't know. I I get like why. I just I don't love it, and I feel like it's having a trickle down effect on a variety of other guys, and then forgetting like the five man grouping, the RJ Barrett Josh Hart group pairing has just not been good this season. Like it's one of their. It, it's been in which makes sense if you think yeah. about it. They have they're too similar. Obviously, they're extremely different players, but like they're both big, bulky dudes who are better guarding bigger players than smaller players. They're both not great at chasing around screens. They're both questionable shooters. Um, they both do can do cool stuff with the ball in their hands, but like you don't want the ball in their hands too much. And like it's just it's just messy. And Grimes, like this is the every this is the reason why everybody and their mama outside of like. The people worshiping Tibbs before December 4th was like, just put Grimes in because the fit is so clean because he doesn't need the ball. He can cash out, capitalize on the gravity, like all the stuff that we know already about him. And like what frustrates me the most about it is like, I understand Hart is awesome and great. Like I love Josh Hart. I will give Josh Hart a, a million high fives if I ever see him in the streets, gonna go. which I probably won't because I don't live in New York. But like we need we need to remember what has worked and just because Quentin Grimes is younger doesn't make him a worse defender than Josh. You Hart. ever watch Mad Have Quentin you ever watched Grimes is a fucking Have you ever watched Mad Men? No. So there's like you know generally it's about like <laughs> advertising. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like this whole there's not a, it's not a, one of the main stories on but there's a storyline where you know, when they are like business was under threat of going under, they get Heinz beans to come on board. And that like is a business that kind of helps save the overall business. And via Heinz beans at some point, Heinz bean sales do really, really well, right? They're, they they do a great shop for Heinz beans. So the Heinz beans guy, he's showing, you know, he's going back to his company, showing them about the improvement in the sale of beans. And so the Heinz ketchup guy is like, wait, what is going on here? Like, I need to get connected with this guy. So he meets with, you know, the the, the crew, Matt Don Draper, 
And, um, you know, he leaves the room and the Heinz Beans guy's like, look, I introduced you to him, but if you fucking actually, like, try to take that business, I'm fucking out of here, too. Like, I'm done. I'm taking my, my business and leaving. And so he leaves the room, and they're having a conversation about, like, you know, fuck it. Like, it's Heinz Ketchup. We we should... It doesn't matter. Like, we should be trying to get Heinz Ketchup. And Don is like, sometimes you gotta dance with the one that brung you. And that's how I feel about this situation. Like, I get that you love Josh Hart. And I like Josh Hart might be better than Quentin Grimes. He might be better than Emmanuel Quickly. He might be better than all these guys and everything. But why are we changing a formula that we know worked? Like we we have a definitive sample size on it for a long stretch of the season that if you start Grimes and then Hart comes off the bench and that bench group does it like we know that that doesn't just work. That was like a 60-win pace team. And you can be like, it's a well, sample size after that. Fine. But it was an elite fucking ball club. They played at an elite level for 48 minutes, basically. Why are we fucking with that? I don't know why we're fucking with that. And I'm worried because I think his fixation with Josh Hart, to an extent, is leading into weird rotation choices he has to make because of weird tendencies he has as a coach that we already knew about. Like, we know that he likes to play his starters the first seven, eight minutes of the quarter of each half without any change. Meanwhile, you watch the, the Heat, and Spolstra's like, you know, he's got like the 15th guy coming off the bench two minutes into the, into the quarter. Like, they're very, very diametrically uh, different coaches. But the point being is like, within that weirdness, we had found something that was like, okay, he loves Josh Hart. And he can still play Josh Hart like 35 minutes in this weird way, even, but it won't fuck up. Like we still get RJ and Grimes minutes, which I think you need. I I don't care that it's the playoffs. Like, yes, it's about winning games. You still want to focus on your young guys, getting some of these key moments and key experiences and all that shit together, reps together. We know that Grimes presence as a floor spacer has, it impacts the overall ability of various individual players to score. I think it makes life easier for Brunson. I think it makes life easier for Randall. I think it actually juices our offensive rebounding potentially to an extent. Um, there's all kinds of benefits to it. And we also know Grimes is a really good defender. We know this shit worked. And it worked in the playoffs, actually, until he got hurt. We were up 2-1. We were already blowing Cleveland out in Game 3 when Grimes got hurt. And if you go back and even look at game two where we lost, you know, it was a 17 point loss. We were down nearly 30 at one point. The minutes that really killed us were the RJ Hart combination minutes. Those were the bad minutes in that game. Not, and I'm, that's not even to single those guys out. It's just when it happened. Um, I'm just very weirded out by it. I think, I really think like Grimes should still start. And even if he still feels like, Hart needs to get 35 minutes. There's every you can do that. Yeah, you... That's what he was doing in the end of the season. Right. Like that's what that's what he was doing. Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's it's perfect. Like it, and it's great. I I think it works fine. Everybody's happy. I I don't and it's just really weird for Tibbs because this is a guy who hates changing things. So hates funny. it. Absolutely so hates it. <laughs> and not only does he like he didn't he hated it on the fucking 41 31 team with Alfred Payne a point guard. 
who he knew sucked. He knew Alfred Payton sucked because within like three minutes of the game one in the playoffs, he was like, okay, <laughs> like enough. <laughs> this this is enough. And now he's he's changing a much more successful, much more viable, and much higher level lineup, rotation, team, whatever you want to say, because of an injury that honestly shouldn't really, I I don't think it's affected Grimes' conditioning at all. I mean, if it did, he went from playing like 10 minutes to playing 26 yesterday, and not only did he play 26, he played like the highest leverage 26 you can play. I think he might have played the last, I don't even know, probably like the last 14 minutes or something of the game. So, it's, it's a weird one, man. I, I don't I, I understand where he's coming from. I just disagree with Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.